Amen. You may be seated. Thanks, Crystal. Thanks, Hannah. Thanks, team. What a beautiful thing to proclaim. So that spoiler may give away kind of where we're going, but here's this question. What does God think about you? What does God think about you? What do you think God thinks about when God thinks about it's a big question. It's a deep question. One that shapes our lives, that influences the way we see ourselves and see who God is and how God is at work in our world. And it's complicated. It goes deep. It's hard to answer. Which is why I love to hang out with my kids, because you always know exactly what they're thinking. At any given moment, right? When they're mad, they let you know that they're mad about things. And when they're happy... <laughs> They let you know that they are, oh, so happy. Just let that burn into your mind. <laughs> and learn that dance along the way. But the questions of God seem a little bit more complicated than that sometimes. What does God think about you? What do you think that God thinks about when God thinks about well, you're at church this week, and so it's probably a good week to ask that question <laughs> on the way. You're here, and so, you know, obviously God's happy with you. Other times, maybe not so much. But there's times when everything seems like it's great, like everything is going well, you haven't said a word of dirt for like three hours, and you know, like God's smiling on you and going, golly gee willigers, Jonathan, you sure are swell. You're doing great. Um, but few of us are ever there for longer than three hours. Um, we know ourselves. We know we're not perfect. We're not perfect people, perfect parents, perfect partners. And in those pretty pathetic moments, we're pretty sure that God agrees with our self-evaluation. That we're not quite good enough. Or maybe that we're disqualified altogether. Maybe you've been told that God doesn't think highly of you because of who you are, because of how you love, because of your past or your present, your doubts, or your questions, because your life and your kids aren't always perfect. Maybe you wonder whether God really thinks about you at all. Well, that story, those answers we hear from culture and from the world, those messages are so far from the truth, from the good news of who our God is, our God who is love, and what our story says. What my experience of God and so many others in this room says. What this community wants to lift up high and clear is this answer to that question. What does God think about you? God so loves you. Which comes from John 3.16, kind of. <laughs> we'll get there. <laughs> How do I know that? How do I know that God so loves you? Let me count in this story that we share of a God who is love, who lovingly created humanity in all of its diversity. And in love, though it was hard, over and over and over again, chose to stick and to stay, to be with, to comfort, to heal, to work for justice and righteousness, to transform. Even more, I know this because Jesus, who shows us the very heart of God, Scripture says, when we see the heart of God lived out in Jesus, it is full of love. A Jesus who loves radically, who loved across lines, race, gender, politics, religion, 
socioeconomic stuff, who loved those who considered themselves his enemy, who loved the people who could not love him back, who loved the outcasts and the overlooked, loved those who were born in a way that the culture had turned their back on, the people who were least like Jesus, liked Jesus, and Jesus loved them. And I know this because in my own life, even in my dumbest days, when I turn my heart and my mind and my spirit and my soul in a feeble attempt to try to respond in love to God, what I find is this firm foundation of grace and of love and of a God who has loved me first and far before. See, Jesus shows us something new about who God is, about how God changes the equation that we've lived with for so long, that God's love and what God thinks about us is not about earning or doing. It's not about achieving. It's not about achieving things through our character or through our choices, because at the root of all of this is God's character, is God's choice, is God's love. And in love, God has created you. God has chosen to love you, to be with you, just as you are, no matter what. And it's not about what we've done, what we will do, what we can do, what's on our to-do list. It's about what God has done and fixed long before in you. And it's about us together, as open, as this community, as this church, beginning to wake up to what God is doing in us, what God wants to do through us for our community and for our world. So God so loves you. So that phrase that's behind me comes from John 3.16, one of these verses that if you've been around church or if you've been to a football game, you may have encountered at some point in your life. You may have encountered this. Maybe you know the rest of that verse. For God so loved the church people. Um, wait that's actually, for God so loved the, um, the parents whose kids uh, wear sailor suits and know how to be quiet all the way through <laughs> church. For God so loved the white, middle-class, American men <coughs> all sports except for soccer. Um, <laughs> that was almost me until that very last thing. That's kind of what we might expect, and that's the message I think sometimes our culture, sometimes even... Religion can make us lead, it can lead us to believe this story says, but what this scripture says is so much more than that. God so loved the whole world, <laughs> all of us, the world. Before the world had done anything to earn or deserve, God so loved it. And that's the beginning of everything. The beginning of our lives, the beginning of our relationship with God, the beginning of why we gather together, the beginning of why we sing, the beginning of why we seek to love others in response, the beginning of why we follow Jesus to try to learn to love better. And it's not about earning or achieving or getting or guilt because God doesn't want something from us. God wants something for us. God so loves you. So this morning, I want to just rest in this simple verse that maybe you've heard before. Uh, because as I was preparing for this, I realized it's been a long time since I've thought through the implications 
the radical implications of what this means, that God so loved the world. So this verse clearly says exactly what God thinks about us before anything else, that God loves us. Of all the things in the universe, that God could think about you, that the heart of that is that God loves you. And we still have a hard time believing that and feeling that, don't we? And it's not always the message that we hear about. And so anytime you bump into something in Scripture that makes you go, I'm wrestling with that. It's a good idea just to keep on reading and see where it goes next. And so, what's the next verse? Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That's pretty beautiful. <laughs> that this isn't about condemnation. Maybe that's the verse that we need to hold up at football games together, right? Listen, if Jesus' mission had been about condemnation, no one would have written this stuff down. If Jesus had stepped into the world and said, I have a message from God for you. You're all silly and you need to spend less time on your phones. Um, Good night and good luck. Go in peace. If that was the heart of Jesus' message, no one would have written that down. Because we know that stuff, right? But Jesus stepped in and his mission and his ministry and his wisdom and his way shook the world with love, with radical Because his mission was this, that God so loves you. And his invitation was to salvation, that we might be saved. Now when we think saved, we immediately go to heaven, right? And, and that's, that's part of this, but it's so much more than that too. So that word that we translate saved comes from the Greek word sozo. Which means to save and to rescue, yes. But it also means to heal. To heal in a way that allows something to flourish holistically. Not just to survive, but to thrive. To flourish. To be who we were built to be. To flourish in ourselves. To flourish toward ourselves. In relationship with God. In relationship with others. To find the purpose we were built to. And that's what God was up to, not condemnation, but this incredible, holistic salvation of us, that the world might be healed and flourished through Christ in a life that begins now, that transforms our world and continues on into eternity. So that's what this story is about. So let's go back to John 3.16. John 3.16 is a huge verse. Uh, it's a big verse that's rich in theology and big, nuanced, complex thought in the midst of this. Uh, I went to seminary for a long time, and so, and, I, and I'm a nerd too, which um, isn't good for you guys, because I can talk about this pretty much for the rest of my life, and just have scratched the surface. But we weren't called to talk, were we? We were called to live. And so, out of this verse, I'm going to highlight four, maybe five words, depending on how you're counting today, in one Bible and the first is this word that we've rested on at the beginning, that God loved, that God so loved. And that's the beginning of the story. That's the beginning of our life, that's the beginning of our faith, and the beginning of our relationship with God is realizing that about who our God is. God loved, and God gave. God gave, because that's what people <coughs> who are in love do with no strings attached. Um, Lindsay and I uh, have our anniversary in two weeks, and so could someone write that down? <laughs> and so I can remember because people in love give, whether they remember um, 
to or not, but what God gave to us was the most precious thing to him. His son, his very heart and nature, given to seek us, to find us, to show us the way, to give himself entirely that we might begin to be made whole, gave to us. What's so important about that is that this was a step that God took toward us before anything else, before it gets to anything we do back. God loved and God gave. Because in the whole of human history, if you look at the way that religion postures itself toward God, what it thinks that the God think God's or God thinks about them is all based on what we can give back to God. On our achievement, on the gift of sacrifices to God causes the gods to think positively about us, to climb Mount Olympus, to go to the desert to, to fast, to take a pill to enter the matrix, whatever it is that leads you on this quest toward God, it's about us giving and then God responding positively toward us. But that is impossible, we found. No one is good enough. No one could ever give enough. So God flips the script for us. And in love, God does the impossible because God loved enough. said, I'll find you. I'll come be with you. I'll give to you. Our story is not one of humanity seeking God, but it's of God seeking humanity, paving the way and giving everything that we might find love and grace and peace and healing, being wounded for us just to show how deep and wide that love is and overcoming all that we might be healed and flourish as we were built to be with this healing love that wins. So God love, God gave so that we could experience love. <coughs> and then the story transitions to our response, to us, to us. And so who is included in us? <laughs> who are the ones that are invited by this story? Well, as the scripture says, it's whosoever which is a very Bible-y kind of word, right? You, know, you think like, wherefore art thou, whosoever? That all runs and has rhythm, but that whosoever is this little tiny common Greek word, posho, which means all. All. Everyone. Whosoever. Absolutely everyone. The whole spectrum of us are invited and included. And that means that no matter where you are on your journey or your story, the invitation is the same, whether you're Mother Teresa or Mother Mary or me or you. The path and the invitation is open to us. We are all included. So what's the path? What's our response to God's love? God loved, God gave, we believe. Let's pause there for a second. <laughs> If our response is encapsulated in believe, that has become something in our culture that's a little bit different, I think, than what the heart of what Jesus laid out for us is. See, in our culture, this word believe has come to simply mean like mental assent to a set of facts about religion. If you can say okay to a certain set of things about Jesus and, and politics and dinosaurs and the Easter Bunny, then you're golden, right? 
And if you can't, then no soup for you. That's the message that we hear a lot, because it's easy, based on these checklists, to determine who's in and who is out. But that's not what the heart of this belief means. Just as Jesus exploded the notions of in and out and checklists in his day, he does the same thing for us in our culture, because this story is about so much more than mere mental assent, which is reassuring to me. And if you're like me, sometimes you have a hard time getting your mind around some of this stuff or nailing it down, figuring it out for yourself. But this is about more than saying okay to a set of facts. So what does believe mean? Um, I know I've said I try not to complicate things with a bunch of similar stuff, but we're going to need some Greek here. Is that cool? Give me like, give, give me three minutes or don't time me. <laughs> give me just a little bit uh, and, and go with me. I know it's summertime, but let's, let's crank our brains up. So here's, uh, here's where I'm going. In Greek, there's one word, pistuo, that can be translated in English, belief or trust. Those two words have different connotations, don't they? Belief and trust. So here's, here's a, uh, what I brought the stool for today. This is, um, apparently we're doing like all object prop stuff if you were here a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Don't worry, I'm not gonna like stand and try to balance on this thing. Um, you can believe that this stool hold, could hold you up. You can know about the stool. You can know about you know the, the tensile strength of wood and glue <laughs> put together and where it came from and the hands and the skilled uh, laborers that put all of this stuff together. And you can believe that that stool can hold you up. But what it looks like to trust is something different. <laughs> Belief stands at a distance. But trust takes the step to put your weight on something. To rest in something. And you don't have to know anything about how the stool was put together or the tensile strength of wood and glue. Maybe you've seen some other people who've done it tasted and seen for yourself that this stool is strong and sturdy, but in the end, it takes a step of response to trust and to put your weight. Belief stands at a distance, but trust rests in the strength of something beyond yourself. But there's more to this story, and there's more Greek to this story, too. So when the author of the Gospel of John was writing this out, he said, okay, trust, you know, pursue, that's, that's good, that's good. But it's not quite enough to capture what God invites us into. So John had to make up a word, um, which is <laughs> always a good sign that this is bigger than our words can express. So in Greek, just like in English, you would say this, you'd say pursuon in, to trust in something. That was the common way to say it. But John does something different. He says, pistuon ace. He uses a different preposition. To trust into this. Okay, that may not seem like a big deal, but Greek scholars that have studied this tell us that this was the first time in any text that anyone had used these two prepositions together, um, except on a school paper where the teacher marked, you know, wrong preposition. John chose intentionally to use this. See, trust in, believe in, is static. It's passive. It's just to sit. 
to trust in something. But to trust into something is active. It invites you deeper. It invites you on this progressive, forward motion into, to put your life into the life of God. And that's, I think, what belief means. And what Jesus invites us into, not mental ascent, not a static place, but this life with God. To take a step into something bigger than ourselves. Because the God of the universe is at work in our world, at work in our world for love. And God invites us into that. With the truth of who you are, the depth of your spirit. To believe that God so loves you that you can trust into that life. And be invited into something deep and true. So, last summer, Hudson was learning how to swim, our son, and I got to be the one who was in the pool with him, which meant that I got knocked in the face a lot as he flailed around and sneezed on as he got water in his mouth, um, as he flailed around and sunk into the water over and over again. So the coach that was teaching us like how to teach our kid how to swim taught us, uh, in those moments where he's flailing around, just to hold him calmly, speak to him. Sing to him. I keep telling him, hey, relax, relax, relax. Trust the water to hold you up. And it didn't happen often, but in those moments where he relaxed and he trusted in something bigger than himself to hold him, those were the moments when his little body could be held up by something bigger than him, but what was even more beautiful than that was when he didn't just trust in the water, but he trusted into this life with the water and began to float and paddle and kick his little feet and began to move when he trusted the water to hold him and so he had the courage to go deeper, to swim, and to go. He could paddle productively and with joy. He could swim when he trusted himself into something we all flail about for love in this world. But trust this. God loves you. But even more, God invites us to trust ourselves into that. To be a part of what God is doing. And what God is doing is so loving this world. Giving to this world. Rescuing and restoring and healing the world that it might flourish. And we are invited to trust our life into that story to trust our lives into God, to be a part of God's restoration work for all the whosoever's around us. And when we do that, we find that our emotion can be productive and full of joy. When we do, we begin to find that we have something that we didn't expect. We receive something. And so that's the next word in this particular verse. It says, God loves God gave, we believe, we receive. And this verse actually said have, um, that they may have eternal life, but it, I needed it to rhyme, and so I hope that God is okay with me um, changing the scripture for the sake of rhyme. I'm sure it rhymed in the original Greek, so we're good. What do we receive, it says? Whoever believes in him may not perish, but receive eternal life. What do we receive? It's this way of life that does not perish. That doesn't break and fall apart like so much in our world. But a way of life and of love. 
that wins, that lasts, that holds together a way of true life. So when we read this verse, we read it about heaven so often. And that's part of this. But our mind goes off into the clouds to the Care Bears who live there and Lando Calrissian and all the other people who are up there in the clouds, right? <laughs> but the heart of Jesus tells us that this story is about that, yes, but it's also about so much more. It talks about how this life is rich. Jesus pulls us back to the present day. It talks about the availability of this eternal kind of life right now. Over and over, he talked about the essence of this life is a relationship with the God of the universe to know and be known by a God who loves you. To be a part of that, to be in that life and to offer our life into that story. This relationship that's indestructible and eternal. So here's one of the places where Jesus says this in John 17, 3. It says, and this is eternal life, that they may know the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is eternal life, that they may know the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus says this is life, to know God and be known by God and to know that God so loves us. To trust that into the core of our being and to be a part of what our God is doing in our world. This is truly what we really want. This amidst the flailing around of life for love and for relationship, this is a meaningful relationship with the one who formed us, who is restoring us and redeeming us and healing us and giving us purpose, a purpose to flourish, a God who doesn't want something from us but wants something for us. And how do we describe this relationship with God? Those of us who've experienced it before, when we tell the story, we talk about coming to know and to be known by God who is love. We say, now that I know God, I've found meaning and purpose. I'm beginning not to desire those old things that perish, but I'm beginning to truly understand my beauty and who God created me to be and really care about the flourishing of others. I'm finding life. Real life. And the good news is, is this life that God wants for us, that invites us into this relationship with God is indestructible. It's eternal because nothing can separate us from our heart's true home. We can find it now and experience it in fullness one day. Because the story of our faith is of the God who loved, who gave. And our life is found in the love of God that invites us into more. So when you wonder, what does God think about you? You can know the answer. God so loves you. And God has given you an invitation to trust in that to join into that and to receive life. So as we close today, I want us to be invited into two responses to this. Two ways that we can trust into the love of God. The first response that I think this wells up in us is the response
response of gratitude. This humble, beautiful posture of thankfulness. To realize that this is nothing that we have achieved on our own, but simply the God of the universe who loves us and thinks we are pretty cool. God so loves you. Trust in that. Rest in that. Gratitude, I've said before, takes what we have and makes it enough. That's what gratitude does. And we live in gratitude for the love of God. We realize that amidst our striving and our seeking to be loved in our world, all the places that we look and we turn to for affirmation, we already have enough. You have a God who so loves you and knows you you to know God. You can rest in that. But let that trust, that solid foundation, move you into action. To trust into the way of Christ. And the way of Christ in response to this love of God is this. It's generosity. That means this call to give love away. In every where, in every way, and every who and whosoever you meet, give love as you can. Because just as God gave in love, we are called to give in love and to spread it wide to the whole world, to all, to every, to whosoever, to the whole spectrum of this beloved Because outside the walls of this room, just as we are asking so many of us, what does God think of me? This world is asking this, even when they don't realize it. What does God think of me? And we have a chance to point to an answer. In every kind word, in every generous conversation, in every act of common courtesy, every time you stand up for justice and dignity, every time you shut down a Facebook thread that's going out of control, every time you stand up for healing and flourishing and dignity, you say to those around you, God so loves you. So be generous with our love. Because to begin to know God, to trust ourselves into this life, is to begin to love like God loves. And God so loved this world that God gave. And as we give it away, you'll begin to see just how wide how deep and how high and how long this love that God loves you with goes. So what does God think about you? God so loves you. Trust in that. And join into this way of life and love that stretches to all. Because God loved. God gave. We can trust in that believe. And when we do, we begin to receive the beauty and the joy of life with God that does not end. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your love. For your love and for your life. For your beauty that invites us into so much more. God, we've asked so many times, what do you think of us? God, we've heard many different answers. But the beauty of our story is so beyond imagination that you love us no matter what. God, thank you. Help us to trust in that. But more than that, help us to offer our life into that story as well. 
God, to, to think that you have something for us, that we have real life to receive in the midst of this journey. It's incredible. So help us to live in response to your grace as people of gratitude and even more as people of generous, radical love. God, thank you for your heart that shapes our life.